Welcome back, guys. This podcast is brought to you by RPG Coffee Company, a veteran-owned and operated socially responsible coffee company born to support members of the military, law enforcement, and firefighting communities by donating 50% of their profits. The true secret to living is giving. And don't forget to join the RPG Coffee Club today. Don't wait until you run out. Stay ready to rock by having RPG Coffee delivered straight to your door each month with our coffee club. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of Bucks of America podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Vance here. Today, I got a unique gentleman that's out of Kansas, and he he's kind of like a double threat. He, what he does, he has he has new life taxidermy out of Kansas, but he's also a very avid hunter. And he, has a, he has a nice connection story to, to Wisconsin that brought him up here. He's young and vibrant in the, in the industry. And he's looking for a way to continue breaking into this. But he wants to talk about how he's been very successful on public land, late season hunting, early season hunting, uh, and just how to look at a map and just trying to like pinpoint where the funnels are. And like he's got a really catchy motto, which really makes sense to me because I went to some places before I had met Brad. And, he, and it's like, oh, that, that makes sense why I went hunt there because it's like if I'm going to be hunted, that's where I'm going to go because it's going to it's going to make somebody else work for it. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to bring on Brad Clower here, and it's like, Brad, man, why don't you go ahead and give us like some what got you what 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 bit you so hard to keep you your life fully entrenched in the outdoor world? Well, my first introduction to hunting was with my father, mm-hmm. and I was probably I don't remember how old I was. I was little. And it was really icy out. We were hunting my grandfather's place in Oklahoma. And we were going up the old rickety ladder that he had built, an old stand. And my dad got up to the top. And I'm climbing up the steps. And I looked out behind me. And there was a buck chasing a doe across the field. Okay. And it just mesmerized me, that you know, being little. And... From that moment, I was hooked. I mean, he jumped down off the deal and shot it, and that was his first buck, and I still have that rack till today. That is exciting. That was just his first buck, your first experience. I mean, that's talk about a heck of a rewarding thing. I mean, that would definitely uh, and like keep me hooked like it has for me because like, I don't have any of those fun memories with my dad because he's mostly an angler, but, man, that's, that's fantastic. Then, So how, throughout your growing up, then, it's like, uh, did you primarily hunt in Oklahoma or did you bounce in between Kansas? Um, I started hunting myself with my uncle here in Kansas when I was probably 11 and going on. And I'm 33 now, but I w- went turkey hunting with him. He introduced me to it here with the pit dumps that we have. Um, yeah. and it was totally different than Oklahoma. I mean, Oklahoma's flat and here it's like up, down, up, down. And it's like, you know, the deer are in there, but you just got to find them. And when all the pressure hits, you, you got to go deep. I mean, you got to want it. And he taught me a lot growing up. That is very, very true. See, it's like I've gone through Kansas, starting from Kansas City down through Topeka. I've gone through down through uh, Wichita, uh, Dodge City, Liberal, Kansas. So it's like I kind of I have a nice picture of the land. Granted, there's a lot of flat land, but yeah, you're right. It's like, it's very rolly. Now it's like when you come to Wisconsin, it's like, it's, it still has the same idea that has rolling, but it's like the bluffs are several thousand feet high or in between a thousand to 1500, if not more, depending where you're at. But like the, the being in the driftless area, it's like, it definitely plays a role, a, a mindset on what you need to do. And it's like, that's why when you look, well, I do spend a lot of time in the off season, especially from looking at new public land, I usually spend a lot of time on Google Earth or a hunt stand or Onyx, depending on whoever's running a free trial at the time, to learn more. So, with you learn, well, you hunting a lot, a lot in Kansas. Like, what have you learned by doing some uh, digital, uh, what's the word, digital um, uh, mapping? Like looking at a, looking at your, looking at Google, looking at some type of a form of a digital map. What key traits do you look for on a property when you go hunt in public? Well, the public that we have around here, there is a lot of water around them where they dug out, you know, for coal mining. If, have you ever heard of Big Brutus? No, I have not. Is that a, uh, uh, a, a coal company? 
yeah, it was, I can't remember how long ago it was, but it was a big old, uh, big old deal that just dug them out. And that's what made our, you know, the pits that we have here. Okay. And all those big deer and all that get on those islands and you have to get to them and you either have to walk a long distance or you have to boat, you have to boat in. And that's what I found success was, is getting away from all the other hunters that stay up by the parking lot, okay, by, by the fields, and you go in there after them where they push them to you. And it's just, it's made it really pretty easy. I mean, not easy, but, you know, it's predictable more than hunting the field. Oh, I, yeah, I completely understand that. Like, uh, this, uh, Two weeks ago, when I started when I started doing some hunting, like I took some time off to get out and do some hunting right there. I did a lot of field edge setting where it's like I would catch them while they're either going out to feed or coming back to feed. And I had an opportunity sitting on a stand and watch these six does coming from 300 yards out and make their way all the way out to about 42, 40 yards out. It's like, oh, perfect. Got a doe, mature ones, broads, uh, broadside get ready to step step a stand up twist my body to go, go go ahead and draw back and i stepped on my clasp and i'm standing in the, in the i'm in the middle stand and all of a sudden it's like i hear the ting i look to my left and all six of their eyes are staring at me and all of a sudden they just turn around yep. and booked it and so a buddy of mine's like what did you do it's like i stepped out of clasp uh, or um, i attached my uh, backpack it's like son of a gun and so it's yeah, it was like well, we we it's still fairly early in our in our hunting, so it's like we can see what happens throughout the day. No, well, it's I don't like know if you've done as bad as I have. I've left my release on the ground when I got in the tree. Oh man, I've been, I've left my uh, my first set of the year. I left my my range finder like seventy yards away in my truck, and I had a doe that yep. came in. And I thought she was at 30, and but she was at 25, and my arrow went straight over the top of her. So, yes, I've been – I have, but I've also forgotten my uh, release in my truck too as well. But not where it's like standing right between your – right looking straight down at it. Did you have something walk in on you while you were – while the release was on the ground? Yes, I had four does walk in on me under my tree. <laughs> oh, man. it's And I'm looking down going, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Oh man, we we I think any hunter can relate to having a mishap like that where they get all excited, I'm getting ready to go, or it's like now when you're when your release fell, was it did it just fall out of your pocket or were you tr were you putting it someplace? Well, I set it down so I could put my sticks on the tree, and okay. I never put it back on my wrist. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah, I've been. Yeah, I never. It's like I I used to shoot wrist, but then I switched to a thumb release. And I I find myself being more comfortable and accurate with the with a thumb release. Is that what you prefer as a wrist wrist release? Yeah, I use the uh, true ball fang is what I use. Okay, but it has the D loop hook on it, and I just I like that thing. It's just consistent for me. That's that's really good. There's a guy on TikTok I follow. Uh, can't remember the guy's name, but he shoots for um, Gearhead Archery, and he does a really good job of like when he makes his content for all of his platforms. He t he does an overhead shot. He's showing like on he has three different releases. He just picked up a new one, and I'm not going to mention the name of the company, but it's like when he released it, it actually had a shift in the string. So as it was coming off the hook, it actually shifted towards his face. Which then then just twisted the the arrow, so it didn't create create the the flight path he wanted. So it's like, well, uh, that one's going back to the store. Yeah, but yeah, it's like I, it's like it's very interesting. Like I think that like every every wrist release would have a consistency with it, but then not all of them are created equal. No, they're not. Now, um, how long have you been using the your particular release? I've had this release probably three or four years. Wow, so you've spent a lot of time behind that, uh, behind the string with that release. Then, so I know what you mean. I use the um, True Fire uh, Four Finger Edge, and it's it mm -hmm. works great for me. It's a little bit bulkier and heavier, but I have bigger hands. So as I went, especially when I when you're when we're during this time of the year, when I'm wearing a light glove or something like that, because I'm not gonna go completely like some people will wear not wear gloves. I at least like to wear have at least a thin layer of protection because that wind can get really uh, get really harsh. And so right. I want to keep something 
some feeling in my fingers. So it's like I I, I like that because it creates a more sense of security. I found and uh, plenty of spending plenty of time shooting arrows. Like you, you kind of got a, a grip on everything and what to expect when you release. Still haven't had a, another shot at a deer yet, but you know the season's not over yet because as we were talking before I hit record is that my season doesn't end until January 31st, which is fantastic. So I'm going to yeah. really have to focus and just like, cause right now uh, with, with the Christmas coming up in a couple of days, going down to my in-laws. So it's like, at least the nice thing is I'll have new year's Eve, a couple of days in there where I can go out and set. And I have a couple of spots. I want to go check out again, see if I can make something happen. Cause you are right now. You're mentioning that you follow a particular person's mantra. What is that again? Uh, his mantra is hunt like you're being hunted and mm-hmm. like somebody's trying to kill you. Okay. And that's, that's where you need to go is where would you hide at? Uh-huh. Which makes perfect sense. Cause it makes it like it, when I was thinking that when we, when we first started check, talking about that, it's like, it reminds me like I went to this one bluff and I, I believe I sent you a image of it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it was, I had to go clear up on top of this bluff, but it had cover food, uh, it had a meadow, so it's like they're all up there. But it's like it was. It took me over an hour to get all the way up the top up to it. At least I was able. To, at least I know I was able to complete it because last April I took a spill down my steps and I ended up doing some damage to my right hip. And so I had to go through. Been going through rehab, and so it's like I needed an opportunity to push myself to see all the work that we've been doing paid off, and which I was able to make it up and down without any insecurity. That's the biggest thing when you when you do damage to a to a, a joint, you don't know how yeah. your body's gonna react to it. It's like so you're still rebuilding that type of confidence. Have you ever damaged a knee or a hip or an ankle where you have to re- reestablish that confidence again in it? Well, yeah, I uh, I broke my tailbone when I was 18 when I was Ooh. fishing, and it I fell down a 10 foot little hill going to a feeder where we have a trout pit. Okay, and it broke my my tailbone and since then i've had arthritis in my si joints and it just gets worse every year and i have to push myself to just get up and i'm it keeps me determined to keep going so i don't get locked up yeah that makes sense because you guys keep yourself moving no have you had uh gone in and have an x-ray to see like what kind of impact happened to your 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 tailbone uh it healed but um Right in my SI joints, you can just see how all the crystallization and the x-rays. and the. Mm-hmm. I've had those uh, injections in it with the cortisone and pain relievers. Okay. And it usually lasts about a year, and then I'm right back to just getting all stoked up. But I gotcha. So there's no sense. Like, it's not like a sciatica where you can where you can no. open up the, the nerve passage like if we're through your hip. Man. Ouch! That would that's definitely something that I've been I've I've been there. I've I've yeah. fallen on my keister more than once, but knock what I haven't broken my tailbone. Like, dude, that's now when you get no would you when you get into your tree stand now do you stand or do you sit down or do you have one that allows you to do both? I do both. I use a uh, XOP uh, tree stand with the sticks and okay. the seat on it is uh, really cushiony, so it. I can sit for a long time and then I can stand up if I need to or yeah, but I can pretty much sit in one of those all day without it, you know, going flat on me. Like most of them do. That is valid too. I got, I use um a company here out of Wisconsin called slumper seats and, mm-hmm. and his name's Rick. And it's like, I've met him here oh, four or five years ago. Really nice guy. Very knowledgeable about it, but he, that's what he designs. He builds seats. So the seat I'm currently using, I don't think I have it with me, but it is literally that thick and it's got a rain cover over in the whole nine. And it's, it's like set in it all day long. And the nice thing is that I could, I could take uh, hot hands, like the big, uh, big patches that they make, yeah. take those, take the cover off of it, put that on top of there. Cause that cover allows it to, to be a little more quieter than, than you'd expect, but it's all, it's designed for, if you get snow on and such, and you can, you can, he's got uh, uh, snap or uh, clasp underneath it's where you can snap them into yeah. a seat or whatever. So, but he also makes free hanging seats, got a whole variety of stuff. But he puts a lot of thought when he's about ready to sit down and utilize uh, uh, when he's about ready to create a new product at the market. And he does the whole uh, uh, expos and such right here. But now we're just kind of waiting until the seaward clears up and stuff like that to, to allow yeah. things to move forward so we can get, so we can get back out there. Cause that's one of the things that's like, we like doing when you're, 
when you're trapped in the house from January to to um, April is one because they do it like the right the medicine does a the Dian Turkey Expo. That's the best thing to work. That's the nice thing that we, we wait for all season long after the season's over with is going to that event because they got everybody in for for uh, for turkey hunt and whitetail. So it's like it's, it's one of the bigger ones in the area that's around because there's uh, there's one in Iowa, been to the Iowa Classic, not that impressed. Uh, there's one in in Illinois, not really that impressed. And there's one then like then you have this one, which is kind of like the the creme de la creme, so everybody comes to here. So and it's like they always bring in interesting speakers and such. So. I know it's a bit of a trip, but if you ever have a chance to go to the Madison's Dan uh, Turkey Expo, it's, it's well worth the trip. Oh, I bet it is. I, I would have a blast at that thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the UFC fighter, but he always likes to make an appearance there, too. And there's always – there's uh, the nice thing is there's always uh, – everybody brings like, – they have a, a score there from Pulping, I believe, so you can bring your bucks in and have them scored. And then Plus, like for yourself, you can you bring – like there's people that, are, that come to this event all across the Midwest that I've met yeah. there that wants to show off their taxidermy or something like, cause what they'll do is they'll, they'll find uh, they'll talk to an outfitter that's in their, yeah. in their state's neighborhood area. They'll, they'll go along with them in a sense to kind of play off of each other's assets. So it's like, well, if you, if you go here, well then you, this is where you're going to send your, your animal to get mounted. Cause you never know what state you're going to go to. So it's like, there's always yeah. an opportunity for it. So it's, it's something that you can look into while, as you're uh, building your new life uh, taxidermy. Which brings me to my next segment. It's like, how, what inspired you to come up to Wisconsin to learn how to be a taxidermist? Well, I looked around, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, everywhere close for a school, and none of them really, you know, hit with me. And the guy, his name is uh, Reinhardt, the Reinhardt School of Taxidermy up there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the first day of class when I went up there, he said, if this is a game to you and you just want to do this part time, he said, go home. Okay. And that, I mean, we just clicked. I was like, he's serious. I mean, he's a good, I mean, he's won best in the world at competitions like three years in a row. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I was proud to learn under him. I mean, it was good. Now, when he does his classes, how many people were in the class when you were when you were going through your schooling? There's either eight to ten per week, and you can either take a week course or you can be there for a full month. And I wow. did the full month. I did the bird course. I did uh, deer mounts, um, mammals, and uh, fish. Fish, no kidding. So that's what. I, that's so each. So he spends a week on each animal, correct? Yes, and you also learn their anatomy too. I mean, he touched base on everything. That's fantastic. I mean, at least you, at least like you went in, you did all. So, so now, what is your since you've been doing? How long you been since you graduated? How many years have you been doing taxidermy then? Uh, I graduated in two thousand six uh, from high school, and then I worked around here for until about two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. And then that's when I went to taxidermy school. And then okay. that's right when I started it. And I did it full time for till 2015. And then I had a family and uh, kind of had to slow it down. And I just do it part time now, like for family, friends and, you know, things like that. But I'm wanting to pick it back up. But Yeah. How many kids? So you so obviously you have kids. How many do you how many kids do you have? I have four. Four. Yeah, I could see you going to part time because that's a lot of work. That's that's but congratulations. I only have one one child, but that's still four kids is quite a bit. But at least the nice thing is like they're going to be growing to the point in time where they're going to be needing less and less of dad. So it's like you, this way you can kind of make that transition back into a, a full time yeah. position. And who knows? Maybe one of the kids will take uh, get an eye. Do you think you could, if one of the kids decides to want to uh, learn how to be a taxidermist? Would you recommend them to go to Reinhardt, or do you think confident you'd be able to teach them the skills he taught you? I think I'd be able to teach them. I mean, I would love to send them there if they wanted to go. Mm-hmm. But if they felt comfortable learning from Dad, then I'd sure do it. Yeah, definitely save Dad some tuition money. So. But at least it's like the nice thing about taxidermy, it never goes out of stock. There's always somebody uh, needing a taxidermist to clean something up, because especially on top of that, too, it's like, we need more of them because it's like I, when I got my uh, like if you look up back over here oh, over here yeah. there it is 
I got I dropped that buck off in see I shot it November seventh, dropped it off like in December. It took a while because I I want to at least take it to it was my first buck, first archery buck. So I wanted to uh, put find a decent text to me. Well, my dad found one for me that I that I completely didn't even know about. And he did a fantastic job with it, but the downside was I didn't get it back until June. Yeah. And so it's like that's a long wait for for a small town uh, taxidermist. But then again, I looked at his uh, his um, his competition mounts. They're they're quite impressive for doing because he's he's done exotic mounts like with the uh, tigers, uh, giraffes, buffalo, elk, of course, variety of fish. His birds are spot on, but he really likes doing fish. He's a little bit more intricate, but man, it's like it's 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 something. But then again, it's like so. What so, since you've been doing it since 2011? What's been your favorite uh, animal to mount? Well, believe it or not, it's ducks. Yeah. Yeah. They're, now, just, they're just beautiful when you get done with them. I mean, it it just takes your breath away when you can see what you built and put back together. I got gotcha. you. Uh, this would you'd appreciate this. It's like Randy Newberg talks and screams about the small game and fowl, waterfowl or fowl hunting in Arizona. And that's about their their seasons are about ready to open up here in January. So it's like in the future when you if you want you and the wife or whatever wants to go down someplace do some fowl hunting, that's the place to go down to down Tucson yeah. Pima County area because that's where all the birds are mig- migrating down. You have all kinds of different uh, birds you get to shoot from. So it's like talk about being a worthwhile trip to go down there, and if you're able to harvest a few of them, well then you can bring them back, and then you can work your magic. So this way then you can see show others what you've what you've gone and done because i think uh being a tax is like it's got to be a fun to be able to work out like x is going to pay for this y is going to pay for this and then z yeah. is going to pay for this trip you know yes oh yeah and the funny thing is is mm-hmm. i've never shot a buffalo head drake and it's my favorite duck okay and my, my brother is in the military in texas in colleen okay. texas okay and his friend sent me a buffalo head drake mount. That and is I'm exciting. Like, that is awesome. I was like, I get a mount my favorite duck. <laughs> <laughs> now you told me there's there's quite you you do something special for veterans. Yes. Tell the audience what you do for veterans. I think it's pretty honorable and pretty badass. Uh, their mounts are free. See, the, I I don't know very many taxidermists that are willing to sacrifice their commission on a, on an animal for a veteran that's the, or, or a service member with that man. That's just fantastic. So service members up and you got to check them out. So for this duck, you now is it, is the, the flight path, is it only through Colleen, Texas area or does it come by the shop in your area? Uh, we get them every once in a while, but they're not, they're a diver duck from the ocean. So they're, Ooh. yeah, they're mainly around the coast and, We'll see them here and there when it gets really cold, mm-hmm. late season. But, I mean, I've seen two in the last, I don't know how many years. And they were on some guy's private pond, and mm-hmm. there was only two of them. Uh, so yeah. so it looks, looks like you got yourself a, a trip to go on down there and maybe get get, get involved with a, a uh, waterfowl hunt. Because that would be a fun thing to go do, especially going uh, hunting on the ocean for the, yeah. for birds. I've already got it going. I'm talking to him. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. So that you're you're already got the gears of working for next season or the following season afterwards? Uh, just whenever we can swing it. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, four kids is kind of difficult to balance out because you're going to need to have uh, some way to take that load off the wife because yeah. it's a lot of work. Four kids is a lot of work. I'm the oldest of four. And so it's like I've been the go-to person to to watch the other other two. But then again, it's like my brother and I are, are two years apart, and our other siblings are ten years apart. So it was it was, was kind of like when they were when they needed a babysitter, it wasn't fine. To, it wasn't hard to like, hey, you're staying home, you're doing this, or vice versa. Right. Yeah. But the cool thing about that is, is he's friends with my brother, and they're in the both unit in the military Mm -hmm. and we can go visit my brother and my wife can visit his wife and Mm -hmm. the kids can be at the house and we can just go duck hunting. (laughs) (laughs) That's a way to, to conquer and divide that situation. So now 
you, you were telling me earlier, you, you shot this beautiful, massive six point. I see it right behind you, man. Yeah, I'll grab it for you. Yeah, tell me the story about this, this gentleman, because I like weird racks, and this is this fits my niche. Yeah, he he was he was nice. Um, well, me and my friend boated in Brian. I was telling you about the yeah. one that went with me and shot that one with his, mm-hmm. and we boated in probably at four o'clock in the morning. Okay. And we get in there, I get set up, and I already had a deer blow at me, you know, two hours before daylight while I'm wow. climbing the tree. Yes. Okay. And I was right on the front door of their bedroom. I mean, it was either I was going to get one or it wasn't going to happen because they'd know I was there. Okay. And I was just going for broke. And uh, I found one tree that I could get 10 foot off the ground, and I had a pine right in front of my face. All right. And I'm sitting there, the sun comes up a little bit, and just right at legal shooting light, I had four does walk under my tree. Okay. So I shot one of those and filled my doe tag, and I watched her run off about 50 yards, and she fell over. All right. So I hang my bow up, and I'm like, well, I'll wait here a little longer. And it wasn't 10 minutes later, a spike came through, and he crossed the ditch and swam across to the island where they're bedded at. All right. And I'm like, okay, it's getting a little better. And and then when I seen this, I mean, he turned like this, and I went, oh, boy. <laughs> he, he came in, and he started following the does, but then he cut off and went down his own trail where that okay. spike went. Mm-hmm. And right before he got to the end of it, I smoked him at 30 yards right behind the shoulder. Nice. Double lunged him or get through the heart? Well, I got him through the heart. And I, I watched the blood come out, you know, spray from him. Yeah. And I, I gave him two hours, and my friend was hunting across the other side of the section. Okay. And I told him, hey, I shot one. And he goes, all right, I ain't seen nothing yet, so I'm going to, you know, just sit tight. Mm-hmm. And uh, he messaged me 30 minutes later, and he showed a picture of his arrow in a tree. Oh, no. Yes, he shot at a 10 point that was probably 160, and he shot the tree. Yeah, or we'd have oh, doubled again. We would have doubled again two years in a row. Okay. And, yeah, and well, I let him set for two hours, and I went finally blood trailing him across the pit, mm-hmm. and uh, I got right to the end of it where the water's at. Okay. And he he jumped up. Oh no! Okay. Yeah, yeah, and he barreled off the end, and blood came spraying out of his nose and his mouth, and he okay. started swimming across the pit. All yeah. Right. Okay. And I'm, and I'm standing there on the edge of the pit, and he ain't back yet with the boat. And I'm going, I can't get to him. I can't get another shot. Uh-huh. So I let him wait, and I text him. I said, hey, you know, he swam across. I jumped him. And we looked for four days, and we never found him. Wow. And we lost blood in the pit dump right at the end, and we're like, he either swam and drowned. Okay. Or, you know, in any direction in a thousand yards. Mm-hmm. And we spent probably seven to eight hours each day looking for this guy. Okay. And I was sitting at a boat ramp in the car and I'm sitting here looking at my map. I use hunt stand yeah. and I'm like, okay, I've looked everywhere. Where do I go? And I'm like, you know, I'm praying. I'm like, where do I go? Send me to where this deer's at. Okay. And I looked up. And he was floating in the pit. Oh, no kidding. So so he floated right to you. Yes. And I went, that's my deer. That's got to be my deer. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, sure enough, yeah, uh-huh. sure enough. I went and got the boat and got the kids and my wife. And it was him. And that's when I took that picture and showed you when we were on the boat ramp. Yep. With I him. saw that. Yep. And you seen where the shot was. And he mm-hmm. still went that far. And that just shows how tough they are when they, you know, have the will to live. That is just crazy. Yeah, no, it's like uh, um, the buck I sh- uh, shot a couple years ago, man. I dug a double lunged him. He ran 40 yards and tipped over. So it's like, it's crazy in how things work out. You know, it's like, I, I just, it's, you never know. It's like, I've, I've shot a, I've shot a doe in the heart with a shotgun back in like 20, 14 or 2015 no it's 2014 because 2015 was the last last time i 
shotgun hunted and actually pulled the trigger on something. And uh, I shot her straight to the heart. I watched her rear up and just come straight down. And it's like, sweet, 30 yards, like, dead. And it's like the funny story behind that was that I saw her that morning and she had a buck with her. I knew she did because she was the oldest one out of the bunch there and she stopped her foot. So she went around me like where I was sitting. I was down one ravine. Well, she, there's another room right before me and she went down that one, took the whole herd of them. And then she went around a different route where I lost sight of them in the trees. It's like, well, I lost that one. Well, then we did a deer drive about 10 o'clock. Here she comes running around. And, uh, I shot her cause I was like, I had just got a kind of a mission that the, she was going to be mine. Well, the buck that she was protecting ran into the next, uh, um, valley and my buddy shot him shot the nice oh, late point so so it's like yeah so we shot that when we when we were taking when we were breaking her down she was just covered in fat i mean she was an old old deer barely any teeth yeah. left i think she was probably but the what unique thing was about her is that she she got shot in the hind quarter and the hind rehealed over the top of it so as we're cutting out the hide there we see this discoloration of it and sure enough there was a slug still sitting there so somebody tried taking a poke at her and didn't put a good shot on her. Wow. Yeah, I had a um, one of my my best friend's brother. He shot on a buck this this year shotgun season down in Iowa, and it tore him up. It, it's like he because it's like his uh, dad sh- shot at him, but it's like he didn't get a good shot. It just it just kind of forced him the direction where he was at, and he shot at him. And it's like they he just he, he knew he hit her, and he, they traced the blood, and then it's like then it got to a spot where it jumped into a, a neighboring property. And they just they just didn't have permission, and they couldn't find the guy. So it's like, well, hopefully somebody else is able to find him. Otherwise, it's going to turn into be a. Uh... The Tetra was the first site that we introduced the infinite adjust system on the front end. With previous sites, we had what we call a hopscotch or plug and play type of scope housing, where you had to bolt the scope housing to the frame. To find the correct location. The Tetra changed that with the infinite adjust system. So now when you sight in your 20 yard mark, you can really fine tune by sliding the whole scope housing up and down in this channel system. That's probably one of the biggest features to the Tetra. Another key feature of the Tetra is Ninja Star yardage wheel, getting a better hold on the yardage wheel, especially when you're hunting and you have heavier gloves on. The Tetra does have 100-yard capabilities with the yardage tape, and that's to the yard. A couple other key features of the Tetra is you get both third and second axis for even more precision. But one of the key features as far as looks goes is we've updated the front end or the housing of the Tetra. So now you have a brighter, larger uh, scope ring, which helps with peep alignment as well as a built-in scope level, which is just more secure. The Tetra is available in a fixed frame bracket with with three different mounting locations, as well as a dovetail or tournament edition, uh, so you can adjust the distance that the scope housing is away from your bow. And the Tetra is also available in three different scope housing sizes. You get an inch and five eighths, an inch and three quarter, as well as a new four pin multiple pin head. All the heads are interchangeable. All the Tetras are compatible with any of our accessories. For more information, you can visit our website at www.hhasports.com. To turn to Coyote Food for Bobcats, because I've come to find out they have bobcat they have bobcats in their area too. But uh, when I was looking at the Iowa map and they're like the, the bottom row, those two counties between like the two counties, the last two t- last two rows of counties in Iowa before we get the Missouri border are known for bobcats all across them. So it's like you're you're bound to see them. And uh, my buddy sent me pictures or video of it, and he, and he found three of them because he said there's a couple of times he's walking because they they would drive the truck someplace and they all park and they would talk about their plans. Then one they would all disperse and he would go he would walk right by the the den of the the bobcats and just all of a sudden just like it is it is quite the sound of this little 16 pound animal yeah that would get you going in the dark (laughs) oh yeah yeah, it did he he got him high stepping real quick real quick all he had well he had a a shotgun on him he has light on too but it's like uh a couple years ago like my wife and i were out hunting and i was i was grunting in and i ended up calling in a coyote at 45 yards 
then it's like as I'm hanging my wife the rangefinder so this way she can range him so this way I can I can dial him in. He finally spotted us before I had a chance to pull it off. But after that point right there, she 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 wants me to always whenever we go out hunting is to always carry a sidearm with us. So it's yeah. like so uh, we got a new we got I got a new X5 uh, from Six Hour. She's got a P320 nine millimeter, and so I bought her an outside the waistband holster for hers this for this Christmas, and I bought myself a new holster too. So this way it's like. It's not gonna kill some, but it's gonna. Well, it could, it could definitely kill some. But when you're talking a 20 round magazine, it can, it can definitely do uh, do some damage or whatever. But when you're hunting here in Wisconsin, you don't know what you're gonna come across because, like, come next yeah. year, we're gonna open up wolf season, and then we also have bears, we also have um, mountain lions and, and lynx and stuff. Well, lynx tend to stay way up north, but you never know when come one comes down there. But uh, my dad's. I've, um, I've had experience with bears and stuff in Wisconsin. Oh yeah, you get you get, a, you get drawn for a hunt up here. Well, there was a guy that was in my school with me up there. Okay, and his brother owned a cabin in Iron Gate, Michigan. Okay, and on the weekends we'd go bear running. Okay, and I'm a Kansas boy that's never been up there. You know, mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. throw me right in the middle of it, no sidearm, and they have me at the base of the tree with the bear in it. And the guy takes a stick and he starts beating and he's like, get down here. And I'm like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm going the other direction. Because <laughs> that bear started coming down the tree as he's whacking it with the stick. And he jumped down and the dog took off after him. And that okay. was my first experience with that. Wow. Now, was this spring or fall bear? Uh, it was just the running season. So it was uh, July and August. Oh, I got you. All right, then. Trying to, uh, because I've, I've never actually heard of the running season or anything like that for running with dogs. Is usually because we can do, we can use dogs, but you can only use them for a short, for a, a small window of opportunity for hunting. Right. Yeah. I didn't, I had no idea. I was just with them. <laughs> I would have been, I would have been deer in the headlights too. I would not know what to have expected in that whole trip. This year, there was a 11 year old girl that shot a, a 814 pound black bear. Wow. Over, over there in uh, Sparta, which is about 25, 30 miles from across. And uh, that that is just something remarkable. It's like, what do you do at that point in time? You shoot an 800-pound bear. Now, see, Wisconsin does not have a state record for that, but it will. It um, has to go through the drying phase, which it should have been dried. And I think they're going to have um, SCI or Pope and Young going to take the measurements on it and put it in their book, which is still very yeah. pretty neat, though. It's like, man, it's like, it's just crazy, and the DNR got out in there and got, took pictures of it. They had to use a double axle, fifteen uh, foot trailer because to, to pull them out because it's just a massive bear. But wow. just think though, a bear that size takes at least twenty some years to get that big, so it survived a spring yeah. and fall season for twenty some years. And it's like, and the unique thing about bear hunting, like people don't quite grasp like how important it is to to keep those animals in in a in, uh, in a, a st- stable population because they'll eat themselves out of house and home. They'll become very territorial. They'll eat everything. They'll start going after pets if they run out of food. They'll start moving to towns and stuff like Because, like, was it New Jersey's running that issue because they got rid of their bear season? Well, now the bears are coming in town because they got rid of them. So it's like they're, it's, it's, a, it's a thing that's like that people don't recognize. Like, as a, as a hunter, we follow the conver- uh, conversation conservation code. Yeah, there we go. That's where I'm going. But we use science. To base our facts and figures off, the nice thing is that there's plenty of volunteers. There's people that are willing to donate their time. We have uh, great programs for different colleges that that the interns come and they do, and they try to track as many bears down. So, I mean, heck, even uh, there's a super salver by Madison that produces on average like three or four sa- uh, cubs every two years. And she, and, and yeah, so she's kind of underneath the the U of UW Madison's win, uh, wing of protection because they they're they're studying her because it's kind of it's like it's rare to see a black bear produce that many cubs that consistency that consistent all the time because once they stumble once they stumble across her I don't remember when they did Steve Rinella covered this this year two years ago I believe one of his podcasts and talking about it. you can, nice thing is you can you can type in on iTunes super salad you'll pull it all up and be able to look at but the combination was food water and cover. And the food was that they were close by, um, wouldn't say a landfill, but there's something nearby, like a, like a chicken coop or something that, that had a steady, like whenever something died, it's like it provided simple food. Because 
bears are yeah, omnivores. She knew where the food was at. <laughs> yeah, so she knew where she was at to maintain yeah. that kind of thing. But it's like it's just amazing how that animal survives and gets around, and we don't even know about it. I mean, heck, there's we fed some uh, black bears down by my dad's house in in just northern Iowa here, which is two hours away. That come down the Mississippi and they'll hop on uh, the Cedar River, or the Root River, and they'll take that around and kind of stay away from everybody. So it's quite the uh, intricate system and how what they all use to do it. I mean, heck, what was it? Uh, oh, yeah. Was I think it was last year they tracked a mountain lion that, that that was collared in Colorado and made its way all the way out to like Vermont or New Hampshire or something like yeah. that. That's a yeah, two thousand mile trek. They move a long ways. Yeah, and it's like you would never expect a, a big cat like that to do it. So I myself have never like I've I've never shot a big cat, but I've come across one uh, five six years ago in uh, the small community there in southeast Minnesota. I was coming around this curve and I saw his long bushy tail. And it's yep. like I never got my gun up so fast in my life. But the unique thing was, is like after I saw it, then I started seeing all the footprints, and I took pictures of them. And like I'm going, I'm googling them while I'm sitting in the tree. So it's like that, that, that's a mountain lion. That's, that's a big a cat. cat. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a, a cat. big cat. Yeah. But uh, we, I told the landowner about it, and it's like, yeah, the cat's been out here for years. I've never seen it. I've only seen the remnants, of it, but it doesn't go after his cattle. It's it's really? learned, yeah. It doesn't go because he he does beef cattle. And he usually runs oh right around like 150, 175 head of cattle. Nothing really major. All the fields that he has is um, just used for silage and stuff. But it goes after uh, deer and and uh, coyotes. Like uh, what was the thing? It was twenty sixteen. We came across three kill sites in a matter of like sixty yards of each other, and it's wow. like so it must have been just a. Uh, uh, how he was the the the, the cat was pattering everything, and a big cat gets um two hundred pounds in two years. Big Tom, if yeah. underneath the right foods uh, underneath the right food circumstances. Oh yeah. Have you gotten to do a cat yet? You're at your at your shop. No, I haven't got to do one yet. It's illegal to kill them in Kansas, so. So essentially, you got to find some that's that just did an outfitter, and then they're bringing it back in. We've had we've had cats come through, but they don't live here, but. I've yeah. seen some, I've seen some cubs, so you know my uncle's seen them and everything else. So there's got to be something here other than just moving through. But Kansas I don't got think there's a, I don't think there's a big enough population to really have anything. Yeah, it could kind of come down to cover too, because in Grand uh, Kansas is, has its rolling hills, but it's like a lot of those 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 valleys and such are utilized for hunting camps and stuff like that, and big farms and cattle. And such, so it's like it, it probably won't get the quiet it would be looking for. So, but then again, when you look at it, Kansas has mule deer, whitetail, uh, tons of small game. Do you guys have elk in uh, Kansas? I know Nebraska does. We have elk on a uh, military base, uh, Fort Riley, up by uh, where's that town called? Um, Junction City, Kansas. Okay. Now, now those those elk protected then, or do, is there a special tag to get gain access to that? Uh, it's on a girl, and I mean they're free range. They brought them in from Colorado mm-hmm. about I can't remember how long ago it was. It's been years, but uh, you can hunt off the base. You know, just get a tag like an archery tag. Mm-hmm. But if you get on the base, you have to. It's only like ten tags per year or something like that. I gotcha. Yeah, and Wisconsin has a very limited draw state too as well, and. and uh, Missouri, I think Missouri was it this year. This year was their first year of actually having their inaugural season for uh, Rocky Mountain elk as well, too. They're, they're, they have a, I think they're at 175 to the hoof, so it's like it's a good sized population. That's what it took Wisconsin to get it had to reach that amount before they allow uh, the season to open up. Now we're on our year three of uh, elk season, and this year somebody managed to shoot two of them. It's like how can you make that mistake? It's like Whitetail elk. It's like you're talking hundreds of pounds of yeah, difference here. Oh, I know. I've seen people come hunt here and they shoot cows. Oh I'm Jesus! Like, I'm like, how do you how do you mistake a cow for a deer? I'm like, really? <laughs> oh, which is it just it just baffles me when it comes down to that. When you hear somebody shooting a cow or an elk, it's like you it's like you can definitely tell they're not they're not obeying the 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 the, the code. You know, it's like you have to you have to see your target to shoot, and you know you have to know what you're shooting at and see what's behind it. All that fun stuff that you yeah. learn in Hunter's Ed. It's like, come on, guys! It's like there's no excuse for it. That's why nowadays, it's like you try to pull a fast one on a on a on a uh, 
game worn. It's like that's not going to fly. No, it's not. Yeah, and that's then, how it's raised. Is it's always loaded if it if it is or not. It, yeah. you treat it like it's loaded. Yeah, that's I mean, sound advice right there. Tell my daughter the same way too. It's like she 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 handles her airsoft gun, airsoft pistols the same way I ha- we handle our firearms. It's like she ejects the magazine, clears the the chamber, and it's like before she hands it over to anybody or before she puts it away. But there is um, a, a game warden out in Ohio. It's in it's in uh, not sure if it's, not sure if he's in critical condition, but I know he's in the hospital because he got a call about a poaching uh, possible poaching call. And he walked out there, and they arrested the three guys that shot him. So I'm not sure. I'm not exact. I haven't had a chance to read the article fully, but I, I just posted on my uh, on the Bucks of America podcast page, and it's like that's just like that's just scary, you know? Because like, these guys yeah. are doing their job, and it's like you know, it's like this uncalled for to be not paying attention like that too. It's like, and the funny thing was too is like these guys, if they would have left him alone, they they would never know what would have happened, you know? Yeah, oh, I know. Did they just see movement and shoot, or were they actually shooting that's- at him? That's a, I'm, I'm thinking they actually purposely shot at him, and but he survived. And but now the three gentlemen are, are in uh, three gentlemen are in custody, and uh, they're old. They're in their mid forties, maybe mid early fifties. So they're old enough. So it's like I have to actually read the article on more detail about what all happened with that. Whole aspect and that's what's hard. That's what's hard about hunting public because you run into people like that that are up to no good, and they'll take you out. You know, so they don't get caught. I mean, you're out in the middle of nowhere, and mm-hmm. it's like, this is unsafe. I mean, I've ran into it before where you've seen somebody that just looks real sketchy, and mm-hmm. they're not even they're not even in hunting clothes. I've had people walk in in a t-shirt and pants and boots just to mess us up. Oh yeah, it's uh, not what I have not had that problem. I, I do. Uh, where I hunt at, I do have walkers, but the state of the road. And so right. like this, this, the, because Wisconsin has the farm and, or forest management program. So this way uh-huh. the landowner can put their land into a, 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 a program to allow hunters to come on top, come on to it. But uh, they also get a tax break for it. But I've not, I've never had anybody decide to like, Hey, I'm going to go walk my dog up this direction here. So I'm not going to, but I, I was, I, I found a video on, on social media and I, I have, it, it's going to be posting sometime soon on my Facebook page. And it's a guy out there in a, in, in a tree stand hunting, but there's a kid comes out with a machete and he's going all kung fu fighting out there. You know, it's just like he's just 40 yards away, just chopping trees down and stuff like that. And the hunter yeah. just like, well, I'm just going to sit here because it's unique, though. It's like you think that someone would cause the hunt to be over with. It's like, well, as soon as they're yeah. gone, the deer only pay attention to what they can see. If they can't see right. it, they're not too worried about it. It's like, I've come to the gotten i've gone through enough scenarios where just because there's gunfire going off the, if yeah. it's not within their vicinity or if they don't watch something drop they're not going to care yeah Hello, we're at the 2020 ATA show at uh, Veteran Innovative Products, uh, an all-American made and manufactured broadhead. So we've got a new one for 2020 called the Combat Veteran 4-Blade. As you can see, 4-Blades got a lot of the same high-quality materials we use with our original 2-Blade Veteran, but the Combat Veteran has a different deployment system. How it deploys is you just squeeze a little bit on your main blades, okay, those compress, and then the broadhead opens still has our momentum management compressible blade technology so the cutting diameter is inch and a quarter by two inches on this when deployed Uh, in flight it's one inch by inch and a quarter another feature we added this year with these heads uh, is that you can exchange the bone breaching field point tip with a 125 grain setup if you would like so swap the tip out get you 125 grains instead of 100 which is big with those western hunters and then it's really simple to lock back in place Roll those blades up, and then it's a click, and another click on the other side. It's completely set in, will not prematurely deploy, will not rattle free, solid containment, 100% deployment every time. So we've made a lot of good adjustments and refinements to it to make sure that it's guaranteed to deploy every single time. So that's what's new for VIP this year. Oh, I know. It's crazy. Oh, I agree with you there, man. It's uh, but uh, knock on wood though. It's like uh, when when I go back out in the in uh, when I go hunting by myself, I always tend to like if I'm going someplace where where I uh, where I know that if I'm going to go after a deer and like and they're going to be in some place that's remote, I, if, as soon as I get uh, service, I tend to drop a pin where I'm at and then I'll email the or text the coordinates to my wife so this way 
something bad happens yep. to me, at least you have a point of reference to come back and find me. Yep. Now, when you go out hunting, do you hunt by yourself or do you spend all the time hunting with your buddy? Uh, we like to hunt together a lot, but every once in a while I'll go by myself, but we just click that well. And we're just, we, we love being in the woods that much. So we're always like, let's go. <laughs> that is awesome. That That is the way to go. So now, um, so you shot that, uh, so you, you, you're, t- you're telling me about the story before I hit recording about the buck that's sitting behind you that uh, was an eight point or 10 point? Uh, the one mounted on the wall? Yeah, one the one you shot last year in the 2019 season. Um, I shot that in a cemetery in 2019 on November 23rd. Okay. And it was CRP that was probably 10 foot tall. Okay. I mean, all around us, there's just a little bitty strip of timber in there. And it was private, but he enrolled it in the walk-in hunting area so you could hunt it. Okay. And they bet up in there, and I don't know how we didn't spit those deer out of walking in. I mean, we walked in there, didn't bump nothing. I mean, not a sound. Nothing came out. Uh, we got in the tree. Sun came up. He texted me right after, and he said he shot an eight. Okay. And I'm like, cool. And... Not five minutes later, this guy comes storming in to my grunt tube, mm-hmm. five yards under my tree, and just stomping. Okay. And he, he's let me get my bow off the hanger and draw back on him, and I shot him, and he died right in front of his tree stand. And he texts me, and he goes, did you shoot a deer? And I said, yeah. And he goes, he just died in front of me. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And then we had to track his on the private. <laughs> <laughs> oh that is crazy so how far apart were you guys sitting during this whole situation uh 80 yards wow so that's yeah. that's a good shot place only walked 80 yards and just dropped over now yeah. going. so how long did it take you to go track your your buddies oh uh, we found him probably an hour later oh that's not bad then that's yeah. pretty easy you, you let him you let it you give him you gave him an extra hour just let him expire yeah. oh yeah that's fantastic man so that's that's interesting that you because like it's it, Cemeteries and deer. Someone about them, they know that's like this kind of sacred ground. Oh, like, no. so- and it's crazy. Right before I shot him, somebody drove through and was looking through the cemetery. I mean, there's cars coming through it. Wow. So now, yeah. is this the cemetery is public then, or is it private? Because like the cemetery is a uh, you know where you go in there, but there's a little block, probably thirty acres, that is enrolled in walking hunting, which is public. Okay. And then all sides around it are private. Okay, that makes more sense. Now I'm kind of now I'm getting a picture of where you were sitting at. Yeah, because there's landowners that can enroll their property in it to make income from the state and let people come in and hunt it like it's public. That's that's just fantastic, man. I, I like when uh, when people enroll their land to do that. It's like, wish there's more. Uh, or places in Iowa and Minnesota allow you to do it. Like here in Wisconsin, it's amazing how many places you do it. And we have one of the cheapest over-the-counter tags. Like you can come up here and like depending on what county you're in, you can you can get a buck tag and and uh, three or four doe tags for right around that two hundred dollar mark plus or minus, you know. So it's like right. it's pretty much like this year, like I got because um, it was my first time hunting Wisconsin, I got um, four three doe tags, one buck tag. And a small game tag, fifteen bucks. Wow! Yeah, it's like talk about dirt cheap. Wisconsin pushes a lot of uh, yeah. uh, youthful hunting, a lot of really yeah. cool perks and stuff like that. Even as a uh, as an out of state hunter, you have an opportunity to get some really good prices on some tags. So it's they, they try to grip, bring people in here because uh, some of our biggest um, uh, uh, cheerleaders are insurance companies because all the different animals we have in this this wonderful stay here because you ever have a chance to go through it's amazing you can go through the driftless area and then you go into then you go into flatland and then you got and then you go back into almost mountainous territory it's 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 got a combination of everything oh yeah that's like our little spot we have around here is it's like mountains like it's pretty tall i mean it's totally different than the rest of the state where's and that at like where's that at in in uh, in Kansas? It's a uh, southeast Kansas. It's uh, about forty five minutes from Joplin, Missouri. Have you heard of that? Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm drawn, I've driven by Joplin a few times. Yeah, it's uh, we're in Unit Eleven, and I mean it's just a different place. I mean, it's crazy. You can drive an hour away and be flat, and you can come here and drive a mile down the road, and it's just pit dumps. I mean, they're just tall. Wow, very neat. Don't, and that's where the deer hide at. Okay. Now, since you so, live so close to Missouri, and now do you, have you done any out-of-state hunting in Missouri or, or Nebraska? Uh, I, I duck hunted with an outfitter in Missouri. I won it at an expo. Okay. And uh, I didn't kill nothing, but we had fun. But it was it was interesting. Mm-hmm. But, but, uh, no, I've done duck hunting here. I haven't duck hunted in a long time, but... Uh, just too expensive. <laughs> it's, it can be when you get into it. It's like uh, I have a I have a uh, eleven hundred Remington, and I have a buddy of mine down in Des Moines. I was coming back up through in twenty seventeen. He had like a hundred and twenty five rounds or something like that that he wasn't going to use up. So like, here you go ahead and have it because like I'm right on the Mississippi. So it's like yeah. it's like it's come uh, mid November and stuff like that. I, I took off uh, like November fourteenth to the fifteenth of the through that whole weekend, that five days to go hunting, and just, just guns going off because it's like I'm right yeah. next because the river is like literally five miles from where I'm where I'm hunting at, so it's not that far away. So it's like it echoes through those through the bluff country, and it's interesting too because like when I'm when I'm sitting out there hunting on the ground, there it's like I walk in and say, "Oh, this is great weather." It's like the the wind is pushing to my back, and then it's like and then all of a sudden it switches on me. So then the the wind is pushing on my face, going up the mountains. Like well. This is going to be an interesting thing to pull off here. So, so that's why I started dabbling in some some uh, uh, some cover scents. And nose jammer has been kind of a, a big winner for me. Next to um, hunt, hunter specialties, they like to use their, their own cover scents, stuff like that. I use those for my, my clothes and such, for my uh, coat, pants, socks, beanies, baklavas, you know, gloves. And it's like I throw those in there every year and refresh them every, every anywhere between every six months or so put a new one in there and it's like it just it absorbs all that smell especially yeah. after like after we do because like I, I usually wait until the end of the season to do a big wash clean up all the cockroaches and all that and then the next several months i'm not going to be using the, the gear so it's like well i'm gonna throw my set discs in there and call it good yeah i mean the best thing i've had is uh using just dopey from uh, uh the buck bombs mm-hmm that's what I've had a lot of success with, you know, bringing the bucks in. Okay. But, uh, Dead down wind has been my go-to scent spray. The, I, that's I use I use either Dead Down Wind or uh, Scent Away. Have been both um, tools in my in my in my backpack. Yeah. But I mainly still hunt the wind, but that's my number one scent spray. Yeah, I'm the same way too. I try. This being my first year hunting bluff country, it's been it's 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 been challenge. It's been interesting because you also not have to worry about the thermals when they go up and when they come down, depending on where you're at on the side of the bluffs. Because there's some spot, there's some spots I'm sitting down on the bottom in the in the evening. So it's like, well, it's not too bad in the evening because I want to as the as the heat drops, it's gonna bring it's gonna suck the air downwards. But it's the morning sets they kind of get a little sketchy because as it warms up, that heat's just gonna go right up that mountainside, up the bluffs, I should say. But it's yeah. like it's it's great though when you when you when you if you can get out of the wind and it's it's just it's makes a whole world of difference and right now we we've we've had a couple of dustings but we have really no major snow in my area right now it's like living in lacrosse creates this bowl effect and yeah. it's like we had snow here last weekend and it stayed all down by uh, Dubuque so it never really went north from that so it became frustrating it's like I want to see the snow because it's really pretty but. And on the other hand, it's like he, snow could stay off for another couple more days. You know, it's like I, I can yeah. deal with snow. Don't mind dealing with snow on Christmas and Christmas Day and New Year's Eve. I'm all right with everything else. Can be good. <laughs> oh yeah. See now down there, you guys get tons of wind and tons of rain, so it's 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 a different ball game down there. Yeah, we can either get tons of wind, rain, or snow, or it uh-huh. can be hot. I mean, just welcome to Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the hottest day I hunted this year was 84 degrees outside. Mhm. Oh I yeah. You, I bet you've had some hot sets in the sun. Uh, about 102. Ooh, damn, that's hot. Yeah. And but, I've also set in minus 10. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been I've been there. It's like I grow a beard, so what that I've had like ice form, ice sickles forming on my beard because I exhaled. But now I wear a a, a baklava, so it avoids it. Cause, man, it's uh, that hurts the skin when you when you, when you exposed for that long, especially when you're doing five six hour sets before you have a chance to get inside of something warm. Oh Usually, yeah, depending on, like depending on where I'm hunting at. It's like if I'm hunting with a bunch of guys, like we'll we'll, we'll break for lunch. And we'll hop in the V trucks, turn them on, get nice and warm, and we'll walk back out towards spots. And then we'll send a group of us out first, and then the other group will push, and then they'll get their spots, and then that will be our night night, night set. And then whoever sets the farthest, well, they have to walk and push towards us. And then we yeah. kind of rotate. That's we, we rotate them around when we did do that. But now, I it's like with the constant ringing in my right ear, I just rather just use bow. Yeah. Or it's, it's like more it's more challenging. It's I mean you're. You're right there with them. I mean, yes. yeah, you really have to use you have to use your woodsmanship and everything and learn it. And you are correct. And if you don't get good at it, well, I guess you're gonna be hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd be. I've I've had a few years of tag soup, so I still got a few more days. So I'm gonna try to. I still got quite a bit of PTO time, so I'm, I might uh, might uh, call in sick. Yeah. <laughs> And go from there, right? Uh, but I'm just kind of lucky that my my hunting land is not. The, it's only like a 20 minute drive, so it's like better than it once was a couple years ago. I had to drive almost 70 miles. Now, like that that 70 miles cut down to down to 15 miles is is, is a much nicer game changer and such. Now, do you have your kids coming out and setting you at the in the tree stand or ground blind? Uh, ground blind. I've had my uh, eight year old son. He's been in a tree stand a couple times. Yeah, just trying to get him used to it. Mm-hmm. But no, my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, she's just getting ready to turn six. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, she just this year during rifle, she was carrying my AR 15 around and yeah. just toting around, just ready to go. I mean, <laughs> and she's cute. Like, at, six, at six years old, that gun stays at the ground. I mean, and finger out of the trigger. Yeah. I mean, she knows, she knows it. That's good. That's I think that's what uh, is 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 key to kids' success these days. Because it's like right now, since a lot of things are being filtered away, it's like it's like it's up to us to teach them about the value of the firearm and the, and the discipline you need to have behind it. Because otherwise, yeah, it could be used for the wrong wrong uh, methods and such. We 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 try not to uh, give them the wrong impression stuff like that. But at least like they all know it's like. One one of my little ones around stuff like that. We kind of we put things up and lock them away and go from there. Yeah, they 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 get put up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, especially like because uh, we have a well now we've had, we've added a couple new handguns to our reg, our regiment. So like all the long guns are always locked up. So it's like those those require a lot more steps to make that happen now with the with the handguns. Those are we got those nice mm-hmm. um, cases that are. Easy locks, so you just roll the keypad and they're done. Yep. So, is, so uh, when it comes down to new life, what's the best way to see your materials? Like, do you have a website, Instagram, Facebook? Uh, just my personal page. I haven't uh, put a page up again, so I mean that's in the future, but it's still in the works. There you go. It, it doesn't take. The nice thing is, it doesn't take much to do the, the Facebook page, but Instagram is where it's at. It, tr- it really is because this way then you can try to get because uh, uh, I know the Durys hunt on text out there in Kansas and a bunch of other big names hunt in Kansas. So you at least have that thing with trying to find yourself a partnership with an outfit to try to grow that business. But at least we can at least people can find you on the website. And then if you uh, if you have an email address, I can always throw that in the uh, the show notes. So this place people can always email you because season's not over yet. Because when does your guys' uh, buck season end? Uh, the 31st. Okay, then that's uh, is that uh, all weapons or just like muzzleloader? Um, after the thirty first, it's archery right now. Okay. Um, after the thirty first, uh, everybody's buck tag transfers to a doe tag. Okay. And it goes from January first to the seventeenth, I believe, and it goes back to rifle. Okay. All right then. That's pretty. That's at least at least you have people have an opportunity to get out there because I know uh, muzzleloader season is about ready to kick off. I think that in Iowa. So you know that 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 goes until December tenth, and then uh, I don't know if Nebraska has anything going on out there or South Dakota. I think most of their seasons are all wrapped up. Yeah, I think so. So uh, I've had some friends complain that uh, 
getting a tag over the counter tag like they used to. Like last year was not a problem. This year it's like they had to get on top of it real quick because of the the, yeah. the c word. So. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, man, Brad, man, it was really nice talking to you. It's like you provided some really good insight and stuff like that. I'm I'm really excited to see your business grow with new life uh, taxidermy and such. And now the nice thing is like the people that are listening to the podcast, I am going to be posting his, uh, his big six from the, the from off the dock and also last year's uh, cemetery buck. Awesome. Yeah. All right, Brad, you have yourself a great night. Thank you for coming in and joining me You're tonight. You're very welcome.